You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. Uh, just a quick uh, reminder as we try to do weekly for the head count back there. Uh, if you've checked in your kids but you've decided to actually keep them in the auditorium with you, if you go let somebody know in the back kids wing with one of those I can help lanyards, uh, that would be incredible. Uh, another brief announcement. Normally we give those at the end of the service, but so that you can whisper uh, amongst those that you came with about whether or not to actually stick around and do this. We have a newcomer lunch after the service today. If you didn't sign up, we've got uh, enough food coming for a couple extra families or people to to jump in on that at the midnight hour. Uh, You don't need to register, just stick around. And on the other side of that back wall, our front room, our overflow room, we'll turn that into an area to share a meal together and answer any questions you may have about the church, Um, give clarity about our mission, vision, values, etc., cetera, uh, whatever way we can be of help. My name is Jamie, by the way. I forgot to introduce myself. I'm one of the pastor elders of our church, the guy who uh, most Sundays gets the, the honor, the responsibility of preaching God's word. Surely the case this morning as we continue uh, to work our way uh, through the Psalms this summer. I know that summer is over for some of you. School started back. Uh, we're going to consider it summer for the next few more weeks Uh, until we launch our series in the book of Galatians, which is where we'll be this fall coinciding with the relaunch of community groups. More to come on that at the end of the service. But for now, the book of Psalms for a few more weeks. Uh, One of the longest books in all of the Bible, as many of you know, containing both the longest and shortest chapters in all of the Bible. That may be some new information for some. Two of the most quoted of all the books of the Old Testament in the New Testament. One of the most beloved books in all the Bible, having impacted the lives of countless multitudes so that little pocket-sized New Testaments usually include the book of Psalms, though it's not a part of the New Testament. It's a book that captures uh, something of the beauty, character, uh, nature, and being of God to, as we've talked about for weeks now, months even, captures something of the fullness of the human condition and experience. The entire hymn book with its many types of psalms, ultimately pointing us to the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ, as we've seen week in and week out, the one to whom we sing psalms of praise as our Savior, King, coming judge who will set all things right someday, psalms of lament we sing to him as our high priest and advocate, to whom we sing psalms of remembrance and thanksgiving for both his person and redemptive work, past, present, and future, To whom we sing psalms of confidence because he's trustworthy. Psalms of wisdom because he's wisdom personified. The hope for this series, as as I've said from the beginning, is that we would delight in God. That we would see his goodness, glory, and grace revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And that in seeing and delighting in him, that our lives would become more and more uh, a song of God-glorifying, joy-maximizing praise. That's what we're after. And so with that aim, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. That's where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, as I say, I try to say most weeks, there should be one underneath 
one of the seats in the row in front of you. Feel free to open up one of those Bibles and use it during our time together this morning. You can have uh, that copy of the Bible if you don't own a copy. We'd be incredibly enthusiastic to know that you're exploring the scriptures on your own time. In fact, that's something of the heartbeat of what we're going to camp out in this morning in Psalm chapter 1. Let me go ahead and pray for us as you're turning there and, and we'll get after it. God, thank you for the beauty of scripture with its many genres, its diverse authorship, Over the course of thousands of years, philosophers, fishermen, doctors. And yet as we sit with it in front of us and we we truly explore and spend time and steep in it, we see that it is not a bunch of piecemeal stories brought together, but rather one overarching story of redemption with Jesus as the hero. I pray that our hearts would be awakened uh, to the beauty of your word. Uh, that we would walk away delighting in your word, that you've chosen to reveal to us the path of blessing, the path of happiness, that path ultimately secured for us in Jesus Christ. God, would you give us eyes to see ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us in your word this morning. Would you give me a feeling sense of the very things I preach as much as anyone else in this room this morning? And may it all be for your glory and your glory alone and the good and joy of your people. Would you save the lost and sanctify your redeemed? In Christ's name I pray, amen. Psalms 1 and 2, they're introductory psalms which set the stage for the remainder of the book. The doorway into the the rest of the Psalter, the the wardrobe, if you will. Pronouncing blessing upon those who respond in obedience to and trust in the Lord. Those who delight in the Lord and in his instruction. His instruction in the narrow sense as it pertains to the, the ensuing Psalms that make up this book of the Bible. His instruction in the broad sense as it pertains to the full expression of his revelation or teaching. Paired with Psalm 2 by a great many scholars on the basis of the bookended words of blessing. You'll notice Psalm 1 begins with the words, blessed is the man who. Psalm 2 ending with the words, blessed are all who. Though the message of Psalm 1 surely stands on its own, we'll see that this morning. Inviting us and compelling us to to step into that wardrobe, so to speak. And so as you look at verse 1, kind of diving into the lyrics of this song, begins with, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The the book of Psalms, it opens much like the book of Proverbs. Two roads diverging in a yellow wood, you might say. Psalm 1, a a wisdom psalm, as it invites us to, to see God's revelation, God's truth, And apply it to our lives for his glory, for our good and joy. Setting before anyone who would sit with these words two paths. The path of the wicked and the path of the righteous. Inviting us to to sit with the question of which path we're on personally. Giving expression to the, the beauty of the one in contrast with the other. 
Again, much like the the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs with its collection of poems designed to compel us to choose wisdom over folly. Perhaps the clearest distinction, we've studied this before uh, in a gathering just like this, uh, the the clearest distinction in all of Proverbs perhaps found in in chapter 9. The description of lady wisdom in contrast with that of lady folly. Both calling out to the simple, both extending an invitation to to come and to dine. The table of Lady Wisdom spread with everything we need to satisfy us and bring us true and lasting joy. The table of Lady Folly spread with poison-filled chalices inviting us to raise a glass and toast our own death. Similarly, Psalm 1 setting before us two paths, the path of the wicked in the path of the righteous, again, inviting us to consider the path that you and I are on, giving expression to the beauty of the one in contrast to the other. This psalm beginning, uh, Psalm 1, with the word blessed or blessed, however you want to pronounce that, which can also be translated happy. It's the same word that the, the Queen of Sheba spoke to Solomon in describing those who inhabited Solomon's kingdom of wisdom. Happy are your men, she said. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. It's the same word in the the corresponding Greek that uh, Jesus used in the Beatitudes, the well-known introduction to his famous Sermon on the Mount. She begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word blessed just as easily translated happy or enviable. The psalmist painting a picture of an enviable life, you might say. A happy life, a rewarding and fulfilling life, a life of well-being, of shalom, a life lived in fellowship with God, a happiness not found in the counsel of the wicked, we're told, nor in the way of sinners, nor in the seat of scoffers. The the, the language of counsel, way, and seat, verse 1, highlighting, according to some scholars, uh, an increasing departure from the Lord. What begins with the counsel of the wicked, a way of thinking, leads to the way of sinners, a pattern of behaving, which in turn leads to the seat of scoffers, a picture of belonging. Which maybe helps to explain why the the life-giving alternative in Psalm 1 is shown to be glad-hearted meditation on the law of the Lord, as what shapes a person's thinking shapes his or her life. Other Other scholars believing that walking, standing, and sitting is not so much describing an increasing departure from the Lord, but rather a commitment to wickedness in totality, a commitment to wickedness in all that the wicked do, whether they walk or sit or stand, in contrast to God's command to love him in all that his redeemed do. Famous Deuteronomy 6 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them. Here it is. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. In all things, love the Lord your God, unlike the wicked who in all things love wickedness. Coming back to 
to Psalm 1, the psalmist speaks of a, of a happiness not found in the, the counsel nor advice of the, the wicked, but rather in delighting in the law of the Lord. Law meaning direction or instruction in the original Hebrew, broader than, than just the law of Moses, capturing the full expression of God's revealed revelation. To be sure, uh, the psalmist declaring not that we should have no relationship at all with sinners, as we know Jesus himself was a friend of, of tax collectors and sinners. Rather, that we're not to adopt the ways of the world, instead adopting the ways of the word. That's the heartbeat of what the psalmist is saying. The word on which the, the blessed or happy man meditates day and night. Just as God commissioned Joshua just before entering the promised land. Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. The Lord says, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, here it is, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua was committed, uh, commissioned to, to meditate on God's law, that he might prosper in the land that God had given his people. Not unlike the blessed or happy man of Psalm 1 who meditates on God's instruction day and night. Meaning not that, that our Bibles are sitting in front of us every moment of, of every day per se, but, but that our minds are captured by the word by God's revelation, by God's instruction in the midst of the everyday situations and struggles of life. Captured by the word because we delight in the word, the psalmist says. This makes sense to us at a, at a fundamental level, right? If we delight in a person, we want to spend time with that person. If we delight in a song, we want to spend time listening to, perhaps even singing that song if we find ourselves delighting in a particular television series, we find ourselves wanting to watch the next episode. There are certain board games that our kids delight in more than others, and we play them all the time. So it is with God's Word. This, this no meditating born out of duty nor obligation, but because we delight in the truth that leads us down the path of life. Trusting that God loves us, that he knows what's best for us, and has been incredibly gracious and kind to share that information with us. Never heard my kids talk the way Psalm 119 talks about the beauty of Scripture as it pertains to my instruction of them. I've never heard my kids say, Daddy, you're, I delight in your instruction as much as all riches. I've never heard my kids say, Daddy, your instruction is sweeter than honey to my mouth. And yet that instruction has kept them from the emergency room at times, from getting run over by vehicles in the neighborhood at times. To give a, an illustration from past sermons that maybe will resonate with some of you who have heard it, my instruction has helped them to enjoy an ice cream cone better than they would have otherwise. Listen to the way Scripture talks about Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 14. 
In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Same Psalm, verse 103, later says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Right? No one walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners out of obligation. None of us does that. Right? We, we delight to go down those treacherous paths, having meditated on their promises and been allured by them. So it is, the psalmist declares in Psalm 1, with the life-giving path of righteousness, the path lit by the lamp of God's word. Blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night, who delights in the truth that leads down the path of life, who declares with the late Charles Spurgeon, the instruction of the Lord is the daily bread of the true believer. Again, trusting that God loves us, And knows what's best for us and has been incredibly gracious and kind to share that with us. His word more precious than riches. His word sweeter than honey. For the one who sees and savors God's word as such, the psalmist goes on to say, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, verse 4, are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Here the the happiness and prosperity of the godly is uh, likened to a tree, sovereignly and and graciously planted by the Lord where it might receive the, the nourishment that it needs, rooted, fruitful, evergreen, prosperous. That that kind of language and imagery of the planted tree, it's not uncommon as a word picture in the scriptures. You see it elsewhere in Psalm 92 verses uh, 12 through 14. It says, the the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a, a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. The language and imagery of Jeremiah 17, perhaps even uh, having even more commonality in language with Psalm 1, which says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who, uh, who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. In contrast, blessed is the man... Jeremiah 17 goes on to say, who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. One who trusts in the Lord and his instruction planted uh, like a tree by streams of water Rooted when the winds of circumstance blow hardest. Evergreen when the scorching heat and and drought of suffering and loss comes. Fruitful and prosperous, the psalmist says. Which is not to say that those who walk by faith will live an easy, comfortable life. As evidenced by the many ensuing lament psalms. See too Hebrews chapter 11. Not all went well for those who walked by faith. 
And yet at the same time, as laid out in the wisdom scripture uh, literature of the Bible, people oftentimes do experience tangible blessings as they follow the, the normative pattern of the way God designed human beings to live and flourish. The greater promise of Psalm 1 being the, the fruitfulness of spiritual blessing in the lives of those who delight in God's word. The water of the word saturating our lives, making us grow into more flourishing and fruitful people. Which as we know, though perhaps we wish it would work this way, isn't something that oftentimes happens instantaneously, but rather progressively over the course of time. Just as it takes time for a tree to produce fruit, so we patiently delight ourselves in God's word like a tree absorbing the nutrients of his wisdom and instruction, trusting that in doing so, the fruit will come. The water of the word bringing forth the fruit of the spirit. The language and imagery of a a planted tree, too, communicating a life that's a blessing to others. This is not a prospering that turns itself inward. This is a prospering that provides shade for those around us who are sun-scorched. This is a prospering that provides nourishment for those around us who are soul-starved. It's what Israel was meant to be to the nations. The righteous, like a tree planted by streams of water, in contrast with the wicked, verse 4, who are not like a tree with deep roots, but like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff being... The, the husk surrounding a kernel of grain, as we talked about in our study of the book of Ruth, the threshing floor, the place where uh, farmers would separate the wheat from the, the chaff, throwing a mixture of straw, grain, and chaff into the, the air with a pitchfork so that the kernels of grain would fall to the ground and the, the chaff would blow away. So it is, declares the psalmist, with the wicked, unable to stand before the wind of God's judgment. Chaff not only useless, worthless, unlike the tree that bears fruit in season, but too windblown in the end, unlike the tree with its deepest of, of roots. The path of righteousness, you might say, producing oak trees, the path of wickedness producing dandelions. It's kind of the picture here. It goes on in closing out this psalm, verses five and six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here the the psalmist brings us face to face with the end of where these two paths lead. They're heading somewhere. They have a destination. The language and imagery of verse 4, looking back, a picture of the winnowing that will take place on judgment day. When the wheat shall be gathered into the barn of God's eternal storehouse. And the chaff shall be cast into the unquenchable fire, to use the language of Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. Those who walk in the counsel of the wicked, verse 1, cut off from the congregation of the righteous, verse 5. The psalm ending not only with the perishing of the wicked, but with the beauty of a God who knows the way of the righteous. Notice the contrast here too. 
And this is not simply a, a mental awareness kind of knowledge, but intimate knowledge of and care for his people. It's the kind of language that David uses in Psalm 139, where he says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted, here it is, with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Psalm 1, the, the doorway into the rest of this great hymn book of the Old Testament, promising blessing for those who respond in obedience to and trust in the, in the Lord, those who delight in the Lord and in his instruction, promising judgment for those who choose the path of wickedness and rebellion. Indeed, two, two roads diverging in a, in a yellow wood. Which leads me to a question that I and others who have preached have sought to answer with each of these psalms that we've explored these last couple months. Namely, how does this psalm point to Jesus? Well, as many of you know, Jesus himself spoke of two paths. Not unlike the psalmist in closing out his famous Sermon on the Mount. The broad path that, that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life. The healthy tree bearing good fruit, the diseased tree bearing bad fruit. The one who will someday hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And the one who will someday hear, depart from me, I never knew you. The one who builds his house on the rock and the one who builds his house on the sand. There is no third option. These two paths, we see them throughout the scriptures in so many different genres, Old Testament and New. Jesus' words, bringing us face to face with our desperate need for a rescuer king. Here's where I think it's helpful to pair Psalms 1 and 2. A great many scholars understand those psalms, again, to be paired on the basis of their bookended words of blessing. Psalm 1, beginning with its words of blessing for those who delight in the law of the Lord. Psalm 2, ending with its words of blessing for those who take refuge in the Son. These two psalms, according to many scholars, describing the one and same person. Psalm 1, bringing him into view as the blessed or happy man, who the righteous man who delights in and meditates on God's law day and night. Described in Psalm 2 as God's son and anointed king. Which pairs together beautifully the, the two psalms when we consider that God expected his anointed king from the beginning of uh, the, that moment in redemptive history when kings were appointed and anointed, he expected the king to meditate on his law or instruction. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20, it says, And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall Read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers 
and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Who is this son of God and anointed king? This righteous one who delights in and meditates on God's law day and night? To whom do the first two Psalms ultimately point us? The answer is, his name is Jesus. He who unfailingly delighted in God's law both day and night, who declared to the enemy in the midst of his own wilderness wandering temptation, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He who not only delighted in God's law, but perfectly kept and fulfilled God's law. That he, the blessed man, might become a curse in bearing our sins in his body on the tree. We who would otherwise stand among the wicked and in the end perish. He, Jesus, the narrow gate through whom we must enter by faith. The only entrance to the path of righteousness and everlasting joy who stands at that entrance with a cross. He who, like a tree planted by streams, offers us living water, like the woman at the well in John 4. The vine, in whom those who abide are fruitful and evergreen, John 15. He who invites us to delight in the written word, which brings us face to face with the crucified and risen word. He who, verse 6, intimately knows and cares for his own and will someday return to usher in blessings eternal for his redeemed. There is a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs 14, 12, but its end is the way to death. Blessed is the one who turns to Jesus for forgiveness and who follows him down the narrow path, path of blessing, path of happiness, In a moment, we're going to worship this gracious, kind, and good God who has shown us the way of salvation, who's shown us the way of joy, of blessing, of happiness. We're going to do that with our song. Again, when we delight in something, we cannot help but sing the praises of that which we delight in. And so I pray that our song would be loud this morning. We're also going to worship through the receiving of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, we'd encourage you not to receive the bread and the cup, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would bow before him in glad submission as heaven's king, that today would be the day that you enter through the gate who is Jesus Christ onto the only path that leads to everlasting gladness. If you are a Christian, as many of you know, we take the bread representing the broken body and we dip it in the cup representing uh, Jesus' shed blood. There are communion tables on either side of the stage. There's a gluten-free table in the back corner there. At any time over the course of these Last couple songs between now and the benediction, you're welcome to receive of the Lord's Supper when you're ready to do so. Before we sing, we'd like to give a a couple moments just to sit with the Lord, trusting that for most of us, he's probably already revealed the so what. But 
it's just good to, to get a moment with God coming out of our sitting with the scriptures together. So I just want to give you some space for that. As you receive of the bread and the cup this morning, as you sit with Psalm 1 in front of you, I pray that your heart would be filled with gratitude that Jesus kept and fulfilled what we could never keep and fulfill perfectly on our behalf. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, because some would use the Sermon on the Mount as, as simply uh, a, a recognition that you can't do this and therefore you need a Savior. The Sermon on the Mount is uh, it's like the mirror that shows you that you're dirty but it can't clean you up. It's not the water in the sink below that actually cleans your face. Lloyd-Jones says, may it not be so. It is the mirror that reveals that we need a Savior. And by that Savior, we are indwelt and empowered by a Holy Spirit who has not only rescued us in a, in a forgiveness from sin sort of way, but now empowers God's people to live for his glory. Jesus has purchased that for us too. Spirit-empowered, sin-killing obedience. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C.com.